The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Hear now the reading of God's Word from Romans chapter 15, beginning at verse 23. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contributions for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, uh, downtown church. Let me uh, begin with a, with a word of prayer before we get started. Father, we thank you for this moment where we have to uh, remember your, your, your word and to reflect on your goodness. We thank you for, for your word and how it speaks to us and challenges us. And we ask for your blessing on our time together. We ask in your son's name, amen. For me, my favorite ice cream is Bluebell ice cream, by far. Bluebell ice cream, I love it. And so whenever Hillary and I once happened to be near Brenham, Texas, we decided we're going to go visit the original Bluebell factory and get a tour of the original Bluebell. And when we showed up, it happened to be the 100th year anniversary of Bluebell, and they had an entire field with ice cream. And it was all free. As much as we wanted to eat, it was all free. And we had to think, what's our strategy? (laughs) We have limited time. Money's not an option. Now, usually that's what hinders things. But money was not an option. But we had limited time and limited space inside my stomach. And so what's our strategy? Are we going to divide and conquer. Hillary gets one thing, I get another, then we share. Am I going to try new things that I haven't tried before or stick with what I know is good? The bluebell dilemma is something that we face in many instances in our life. Maybe this will become a book someday, The Bluebell Dilemma. Sounds good to me, who knows. But many times churches face this challenge of we have limitations, what do we do? What do we choose to do? Where do we choose to invest our efforts? What do we say no to? 
Our passage this morning is going to give us some guidance. It's certainly not going to solve the problem, but it is going to give us some guidance into how do we uh, go about serving God when we don't have unlimited time and unlimited resources. And when we look at this passage, we're going to look at three things today. The first thing that I want to look at is that Paul had a focus. In verse 23, we find this verse, and we're kind of picking up in the middle of a section. Paul says, But now there's no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through that you may assist me to go to Spain. Paul has a focus He wants to go to Spain, and he wants to pass through Rome to have them help him go. What is this about? And what is he talking about when he says, there's nothing left for me to do in this region? Paul has been, in the verses prior to this, saying, I want to preach Christ. I want to go where people don't know who Christ is. Think about the the children's sermon we just heard. Paul had been uh, uh, just astounded with who Jesus is. We have just finished a series in the Gospel of John where week after week after week, we heard about who Jesus is and how incredible he is. In Sunday school, we just finished going through gospel stories, and I really appreciated Kelsey in our last session challenged us to think through this idea of if Jesus is as amazing as we have been saying he is, then let's go tell others about him. Jesus will change your life. How do we let others know that Jesus can change their lives? And this is Paul's desire. He had a focus, and when you hear him describe what he's doing with his limited time and gifts and resources, he is proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And it's jolting when he says, there's no place left for me here. Like, really? There, there was nobody left that had heard about Jesus in that area? This is really odd to me. But Paul says it. Can you imagine someone in the city of Memphis saying, there's nothing left for me to do here, so I'm going on somewhere else? We would, we would ask them, and I think rightly so, what do you mean? Uh, this is a puzzling co- comment that Paul makes, and I think it's important to realize what Paul does not mean. He does not mean that he thinks that work in Corinth or Jerusalem or Galatia is not important. That's not at all what he means. He's writing letters to people who are staying in those places, challenging them to continue the work, to continue the ministry. But Paul says, but there's still other places that don't know about who Jesus is and don't know about how amazing he is. And so I want to go there. I have a focus, and I want to uh, be a part of taking this good news of Jesus to another place. I think of Memphis Teacher Residency. When MTR picks a neighborhood where they're going to recruit teachers, it's not because they don't care about other neighborhoods. It's it's usually there are some neighborhoods that haven't received the same uh, level of resources as others. And so we care about that. Paul is, is demonstrating that in his life, he has a focus. And this is one of the things that he cares about. Given the limited resources that he has, he has a focus. And I can relate to Paul in his focus. 
when I think of one time in my life where I remember having a very clear-cut focus of where I was going, 2004, I remember I had proposed to my wife in the spring, and about two months after that, I went to do uh, an internship, a six-month internship in Australia, the other side of the world. It was a great experience. I loved it. But that was really difficult, being away from Hillary for six months, being literally on the other side of the world. And so when I was flying back, I was landing in Chicago. Hillary was picking me up in Chicago. And I, had, I wanted to see Hillary. Now, I love the city of Chicago. But if you had called me and said, hey, Wayne, I got tickets to the Cubs game. You love baseball. Tickets right behind the dugout. My treat. I would have said no. I'm going to see Hillary. I'm not doing that. If you'd say, Wayne, you love deep dish pizza. Let's go to Giordano's. My treat. No. I want to see Hillary. If you'd say, Wayne, you love museums. You love just walking around downtown. No. I wanted to see Hillary. Can you imagine if I had landed and gone to the rental car company and started driving to Boston? You would want to know, Wayne seemed to have a focus, and now he's going to Boston. What in the world is in Boston? It must be something incredible. And that's what we see in this passage. Paul has a focus, I want to take the gospel to Spain, which is what makes verse 25 so surprising. Now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem. That's the wrong way, man. Do you not know how to use your GPS? Google Maps is not going to send you to Denver from Memphis by, by way of New York. That is not how you get there. Why in the world, given your limited time, given your limited resources, why are you going to Jerusalem? This seems like a distraction. This seems like something that is taking you off of your focus of taking the gospel to Spain. And so it's, a, it's important to ask, what is Paul doing and why is he doing it? So the first thing, Paul, it tells us, he is going to take up a contribution and care for the saints in Jerusalem. Paul knows that the believers in Jerusalem are going through a hard time. They are struggling and they need financial assistance. Their stomachs are empty. They, they need food. And Paul hears about that. And it's interesting when we think about how Paul describes what it is he's doing. He, he uses this word in verse 27 that says that the church in Rome should share their material blessings with the church in Jerusalem. Now, that word there in the Common English Bible, I like its translation, it uses the phrase, they ought to minister to them in material matters. Now, most translations don't use this language of they should minister to them. It, uses, it typically says you should share your resources with them. Now, why is that? Let me ask you, whenever you hear the word priest and what a priest does, or what a minister does, what, what comes to your mind, right? I think, 
I think for many people, we might think, oh, well, a priest, especially if we're thinking Old Testament, a priest is someone who's doing holy stuff. They're taking care of the sacrifices. If we're thinking about this language today, we would think of, oh, this is someone who preaches, someone who's baptism. These are, this is what ministers do. And it's interesting, Paul is using, he uses a word here that I think would be better translated to minister to them. It's a word used in priestly context, and it's interesting how Paul uses this language. In verse 16, Paul talks about working as a, pri- as a priest to share the gospel with people who don't know Jesus. Now, in verse 27, he's talking about the work of a priest being someone who takes up money and takes it to someone who is having trouble putting food on the table. For Paul, he doesn't have this dichotomy in his thinking where the work of a priest or the work of a minister is to do things that happen inside the four walls of where people gather to worship. Paul very much has this idea of God's people function as priests together, but then being sent out and caring for people beyond where they gather. Proclaiming the gospel is a priestly uh, function. Sharing with people who are struggling in physical need, this is a priestly duty that Paul is talking about. All of this is something that is important. So this is what Paul is doing. Uh, And keep in mind, we thought Paul had a focus, go to Spain. But now he's investing a lot of energy to go back to Jerusalem. And I want to emphasize, Paul spent a couple years taking up money to go back to Jerusalem. I guarantee you, whenever a church said, our guest speaker today is Paul, People were saying, oh, here he goes. He's going to talk about that Jerusalem gift again. He, he, he did it in Corinth. He did it in Galatia. He, he's been talking about Jerusalem nonstop. He won't shut up about Jerusalem. Why? I thought Paul's focus was Spain. Why is he telling God's people to go back and focus on Jerusalem? And I think we find a hint to the answer in verse 27. They were pleased to do it. He's talking about why someone else gave. For if the Gentiles, if those who are not Jews, have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. What is interesting here is when Paul is explaining why they should care about Jerusalem, he goes right to the issue of ethnicity. He is very intentional in bringing up ethnicity. Why? It helps if we know a little bit about what's going on with the church in Rome. If you read Acts 18, you will find out that the Jews were kicked out of of Rome at one point. So you can imagine the church at Rome likely began as a church that was primarily Jewish and primarily had Jewish leadership. But many people are kicked out So now, who is in leadership? It's primarily Gentiles are in leadership. The leadership has shifted. You can imagine, if you have ever been familiar with how uh, different groups 
that try to work together. This is a potential challenge. For Jews and Gentiles, how are they going to get together to get along together? This is something important for Paul, and I want to really emphasize this. This is where we might expect Paul to say, given my limited time and my limited resources, I don't have time to talk about that. That's a distraction. I'm focused on Spain, and he doesn't do that. Paul says, I want you, the church at Rome, that is now likely mostly Gentile leadership, I want you to take up a collection and send it back to Jerusalem. And in fact, to let you know how important this is to me, I'm going to be the person to take it back. I'm going to carry it. This is vital to me. Paul is very concerned about what's going on. And if we read the book of Romans carefully, he's bringing up this Jew-Gentile potential divisions all throughout. He, this is not something he is just now talking about. For Paul, unity with diversity is very important. And I want us to notice how Paul talks about this. He doesn't say, hey, church in Rome, church in Jerusalem, you know what? They didn't, they didn't manage things well. They need us to fix it. They need our help. There is so much about how Paul talks about the way they care. Throughout the book of Romans, Paul is saying, uh, hey, I'm coming to visit you in Rome so that we can encourage each other. Earlier in this section, Paul talks about, I want to come and be refreshed by your presence. I want to enjoy your company. This is not just a financial transaction. And here Paul is saying, you, you actually owe something to them. You have received benefit from them. The way Paul has written the letter of Romans, whenever we get to this appeal for, for, the Gentile, for this primarily Gentile church to give to the church in Jerusalem, you should have the impression, if you are uh, not a Jew, wow, actually, we should be grateful. They, they are not just a, a group of people that are in need and have nothing to offer. There is this language of mutuality that is in the body. And I, I think whenever we think about our church, what is it that we should care about? Uh, especially a church that's saying we, you know, we're striving to be multi-ethnic, cross-ethnic. I think what Paul is hitting at here is very important. Paul is looking at this uh, primarily Gentile church and saying, what's happening in Jerusalem? That's not just something that happens to another group of people over there. This is what happens to us. There is solidarity. Whenever we think about the church, if we hear about Christians that are struggling in Kenya or Brazil, we don't think, oh man, that stinks. No, we, we pray for and we think, is there something we can do? When we think about the church in the U.S., we don't, we don't hear about, oh, well, there's uh, the, the Asian American community might be experiencing this. The African American community might be experiencing this. Oh, that's tough for them. No, Paul is expecting people to stand in solidarity together. 
And I will confess to you, I don't have a book ready to be published on exactly how you do that. I'm still figuring this out. But I think Paul is saying this is important. Within the body, we are concerned with more than just what happens in the local place where we gather. We care about other issues are important to us. And also the way we talk about it. Paul is very intentional in talking about the needs of the church in Jerusalem only after he has spent so many chapters letting Gentiles know how much they have benefited from from the Jewish church. Only at that point. Whenever we talk about helping someone in need, this is a vital element. I remember this was maybe 10, 15 years ago there was a, uh, we, were, we were living in West Africa, involved in theological education, and I saw a, a, a fund, fundraising for theological resources in Africa. And the language that was used was, there's a theological famine in Africa. And I don't, maybe, maybe I wasn't fully thinking through it at the time, but over time I just began to reflect on is this the best way to mobilize people to give? To make it sound like there's no theological resources in Africa? Because I think when Paul's talking about the church in Jerusalem in need, he's not talking about them as if they have nothing to offer. He, he's talking about them in a very respectful way. And yes, the church in Jerusalem has a need. We can help it. Let's talk about it that way. But only after he's emphasized this idea of mutuality. And so if we talk about the need that exists in another part of the world, I, I, I have seen Bible colleges in Africa, and yes, some of them need some, uh, some books. But are there theological resources in Africa? Yes. Yes, most definitely. In fact, part of the challenge is in how publishing is set up, not with the fact that there aren't resources there, There is solidarity and mutuality in the body of of Christ. And this is very, very important. Whenever we forget this, we tend to miss things. I remember I used to hear the expression a lot, we need to send people to Africa. The church is a mile wide and an inch deep. And I've talked to many African pastors and church leaders who have suggested to me that we don't exactly need a yardstick to measure the church in America. There, we need to be careful about how we talk about mobilizing need. And so we see Paul with a focus. Uh, I'm taking the gospel to Spain. And this thing looks like a distraction. I need to go back to Jerusalem. But it isn't. And I have experienced this. It was about two months ago. I remember being in meetings with a global mission organization. And at some point, there, were, there was a policy talked about in this organization. And an African-American pastor just very bluntly stated, you know that policy is very based on white culture. And everyone said, yeah, 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 you're right. And a few minutes later, there was a, a, a Brazilian lady who was bringing up some of the challenges in the ways she had heard American organizations mobilize people and money, and she was concerned for it. And 
and we, we heard some critiques. And then I remember at some point this same Brazilian lady said, but you know what? I also remember certain American missionaries who challenged me in the way I was raising my kids and gave me some, some helpful ideas that I had never thought about, I had never considered. And in that meeting, there were people from speaking different languages, from different backgrounds, and what, we saw come, what I saw come out of that was not a distraction, but because some people had taken the time and energy to make sure that that meeting could take place with people coming from different backgrounds, what resulted was not a, distracted, a distraction, but a more effective witness. This is what Paul realizes. Going back to Jerusalem is not a distraction. It's actually part of the witness. They go together. And I think this is, is when we think about the challenge of limited time and resources. This is where we often feel the crunch. Well, <clears throat> I, I really don't have unlimited travel funds to go back to Jerusalem. I really don't have unlimited time. I can imagine people were talking to Paul and saying, whoa, don't, if, you want, if your focus is Spain, keep your focus. Don't get distracted because if you remember, Paul, the few people want to kill you there. And that's not hyperbole. They, there were people there who wanted to kill Paul. So he very much was risking his work in Spain. But Paul said, no, I'm, I'm not going to only have one kingdom value. I'm going to have several kingdom values I'm going to hold them together. And we might think, well, Paul, you must, maybe Paul was naive. He didn't realize it was going to be as challenging. I don't think so. If we look at the, so, so far we've looked at Paul's focus. We've looked at Paul's intentional detour. Finally, I want to look at Paul's confidence. Notice Paul's prayer in 30 to 32. Pray uh, that I may be kept safe. Paul is not going back to Jerusalem and saying, you know what, I'm going back to Jerusalem because I trust that people will do the right thing. I have faith in humanity. I have faith that people will respond the right way. He doesn't say anything like that. His confidence is not in how people will respond, but look at what he says. In verse 32 uh, verse um, 32, pray that I may be kept safe um, and that I may be favorably received by the Lord's people there. That phrase, oh no, verse 32, I got off track a little bit. So that I may come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed. That word refreshed uh, is the only time this word appears in the New Testament. Why did Paul use this word to be refreshed? It is a word that shows up in Isaiah 11, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, where Paul, it, where the, the prophet Isaiah talks about nations that hate each other will be at peace. Paul is aware of this prophecy in the Old Testament where the lion and the lamb will lay together. 
And if you're saying, well, Wayne, that seems like a stretch. You're basing this off of just one word. Well, Paul has already quoted Isaiah 11 in the first part of Isaiah 15. Paul's confidence in being able to have multiple kingdom values in light of his limited resources is not based on a naive understanding of how people will respond. He is aware of his limitations. He is aware of the opposition, but he knows that God, the, the, the resources that we need come from God. And his blessing, prayer of blessing at the end is may the God of peace, may the God who gives peace be with you all. The confidence that I have is because God, it's God's mission. It's not the church's mission. Whenever the, uh, especially the American church or American mission organizations talk about the need to, to preach the gospel in all nations, the place that most people go to is Matthew 28. Go make disciples in all nations. People go to, to God's command. But it's interesting, Paul in several places in the New Testament he talks about why he is taking the gospel to different parts of the world, and he never once quotes the Great Commission. He never once goes back to God's command. He consistently goes back to God's promise in Isaiah, where Isaiah, in many occasions, has promised that the lion and lamb will be at peace together, that people from all nations will come and worship God, that people from various backgrounds will sit at the feet of our Savior and praise and worship him. Paul did not just go back to God's command. He went back to God's promise. And this is where I think when, when we are tempted in, spite of our, in light of our limited resources, many times we're tempted to choose one value over the other. And Paul doesn't do that. And I want to be clear I'm fully aware the church cannot support every single program or every single ministry. Of course, there are some things we have to say no to and focus our efforts on certain things. Of course, that happens. But what we do not see Paul doing is saying that I only value this kingdom value. I only value evangelism. I don't value concern about poverty, or I don't value the concern about unity in a diverse church. We see Paul saying there are multiple values that we need to have here, and his confidence comes from the fact that he's working in God's mission, and I think also that when we think about what God has called us to do, this passage demonstrates to us that we are not one group of believers alone in the world doing this. We are part of a global church. We are part of a group that is way bigger than us. The limitations that we have here, God's resources are so much greater. Whenever I, uh, and, and to wrap things up here, I, uh, in preparing for this, was having a conversation with someone, and somebody asked me, what, what's the main idea for the sermon? And I remember when I learned to preach, when I took preaching classes, that was the method that was heavily emphasized. What's your main idea? 
You got to have one main idea. And I remember traveling in other countries and hearing people from different cultures preach and, and thinking, wow, that sermon had like four or five main ideas. That wasn't a very good sermon. And over time, I realized, you know, I wonder if maybe my expectation is wrong. Because when I read this passage, I wonder, well, what's the main idea? Well, you need to be taking the gospel to places where it isn't. You need to be concerned about standing with solidarity and mutuality in a diverse body of Christ. You need to care about physical and spiritual needs. You need to be remembering God's, God's mission and that, that he's the one in control. I, there's like four main ideas here. So which one is it? I think Paul is saying sometimes there's more than one main idea because we face more than one main challenge. So as we leave today, as God sends us out and we seek to serve in the kingdom values that God has called us to, may we meditate on and reflect on God's commands. They are there. But let us not stop there on reflecting on God's commands. Let's go back and lean on God's promises. Father, we are grateful for your word, for how you challenge us. Will you please give us the strength that we need to bring glory to you? We ask in your son's name. Amen. Amen. As, uh, as we are worshiping, please do not forget, you can continue your worship by giving. By giving, there's the offering box in the back, and I believe there are instructions up here on the screen. So uh, please receive the benediction, and the benediction today is from Romans 15, 33. Uh, may the God who gives peace be with you all. Amen.